0: Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Well, open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 35, Jeremiah 35. And I read this, I was reading Jeremiah last summer. And I came across this story and I had never heard anyone talk about it before, which if you've been around here anytime at all, you know, I kind of like that stuff. Um, I get bored very easily. So I'm always trying to find new stuff that I don't know. It's interesting to me. And Jeremiah 35 proved to be one of those for me personally. But I'm going to touch on a couple verses, but I'm going to ask that you go study it a little bit later. Does that sound Okay. So we'll read verse 4. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber. So there's a room in the house of God that they brought um, the Rechabites into. This is a family that we're going to focus on. They bring this family into the house of the Lord, into a chamber. Verse 5. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups. But they said, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, nor for your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, and you're to live your days in a land as a sojourner. Drop down all the way to, let's say, verse 19. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, Shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. I want you to look at this text with me, and the bottom line is: if is the prophet Jeremiah is asked by God to put together a powerful lesson for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is straying from God; they're rebelling against God; they're being. Disobedient in every imaginable way, and so God tells the prophet Jeremiah, "I want you to put together really an illustrated sermon, and I want you to use the the Rechabites as family as the illustration, so I can teach this nation a lesson about how I work and how I how I move in people's lives." And so God said, "What I want you to do is I want you to set up a room in the church in, in the house of God." And in this room, I want you to put a table and there's a big banquet. I want you to have a beautiful spread there. And I want you to put these big bowls of wine on this table, these mega pints of wine on this table. And I want you to send an invitation to the Rechabites, to this family that was known as the Rechabites. I want you to invite them to this banquet. I want you to set them down at this table and I want you to invite them to drink the wine that's at this table. And so the prophet Jeremiah, he invites the Rechabites. the day comes, they sit down at this, this beautiful banquet and the Rekabites say, we don't drink wine, we don't live in homes, we don't live in houses, we haven't built homes, we haven't planted crops or vineyards, we haven't done any of that stuff, God has called us to live in tents and to live a nomadic lifestyle. And so I want to use this picture of this banquet in the house of God where this family is sitting down and where Jeremiah is talking to them um, about the standards that have been passed down almost 300 years from their forefather, Jonadab and Jonadab had this conviction he had heard from God. And the conviction was that for my family, this was not for every family in Israel, but for that family, they did not drink wine. They did not live in homes. They lived a nomadic lifestyle. They didn't plant crops. They didn't own their own land. None of that was going on with that family. And so God uses this family to teach the nation of Israel a lesson. Now, I want to call this message, the table of testing. It's not a banquet that's been set up to tempt the Rechabite family. There's a difference between temptation and testing. Temptation is a tool the devil uses to destroy your life. Temptation includes trickery or manipulation to find a weakness in our lives. Temptation is all about the enemy looking for an opportune time. He's looking for a vulnerable time in our life. The enemy knows that that you and I have weak times, vulnerable times, times where we're emotionally off, mentally off, spiritually maybe even we're off, and he can watch us and attacks during with temptation specifically during those vulnerable times. And the goal of all temptation is to cause you and I to fail. And the Bible says, when you're tempted, let no man say he is tempted by God for God tempts no man. So temptation is never a tool that God uses. God uses another tool that a lot of people get confused with temptation. And that is the tool of testing. Testing is a tool that God uses to build us and to lead us. The idea of a test is it reveals our strengths and our weaknesses so we can have self-awareness about where we're really at so we can make whatever adjustments necessary to learn and to grow. And so testing is something that God gives us to lead us. So temptation by design is meant to crush you with failure. Testing by design is there to teach us how to crush failure. I don't want to be crushed by failure. I want to instead take the failures in my life and rise above them and put them under my feet and let them be something I climb on and step on to go to higher lengths. I don't want them to crush my life, define my life. Jesus helped us see the difference when the Pharisees would ask him a question. It was to trick and to trap him in order to cancel and kill him. Whereas Jesus would ask questions, not to tempt people, not to trick people, but he would ask questions to teach people. So Jesus asked questions to elevate us, to promote us so we can graduate to new places and new seasons and and new relationships. Whereas the devil uses temptation because he's doing everything he can to take us out of the game. Imagine it like this. If hell was to set up a banquet, the banquet would be designed to create confusion and chaos and there would be a lot of emotion. There would be a lot of feelings. There would be, uh, a, a, again, a lot of confusion at that banquet. And the enemy's goal is to cause you and I to not know exactly what we're to do because of all the confusion and the chaos. So the enemy will will put questions and he'll put situations out there and they're to trick us and to trap us and to tempt us, whereas if God puts together a banquet, the banquet is different in its testing. It's never confusion. It's never chaos. God never uses confusion. The devil is the author of confusion. So God doesn't use confusion. When God gives us a test, it's very clear. It's multiple choice. And there's three answers you can give to any test that God gives you. Number one, is it right? Number two, is it wrong or number three? I don't know. Every test. Is it right? Well, how do I know what's right? I know this sounds basic, but we got to get back to it, folks. Sorry. What this book says, what's wrong is what my feelings, what my opinions, what the world, what the culture, what the popular thing of it. That's wrong. It's always wrong. The kingdom is always counter to the world. The more the world screams their chance, their modern little trendy thing that they're trying to, all that that's wrong. This book is right every time. That's what it means to be a Christian. This book is the final authority in my life on all things. So wrong is, well, my opinion is, my thoughts are, my feelings are wrong, wrong, wrong. Or I don't know, which means what I got to open up the book hear from God and learn. God sends test because his desire for us is to know exactly what he's calling us to do. And so I put down three questions for every dad that's here. A question, first of all, of direction. A question, second of all, concerning the design of life. And third, the question of devotion in life. Jeremiah sets up this table of testing, he invites his family in, the Rechabites. He presents them with this spread of food and wine. They communicate their standard as a family. They communicate their convictions as a family. They let him know we're not called to live the way everyone else is called to live. There's a separation. There's a special, um, standard and assignment that God's given our family. And they weren't putting that on every family, but they were saying for our family, this is our standards. The Rekabites knew there were things that that family was to be about and there are things that that family was not to be about. There were places that that family could go and there were places that that family did not go. There were certain relationships that they pursued and there were other relationships that they avoided. And at the time of this story in Jeremiah 35 for three to 400 years or six generations Jonadab's standard and convictions were passed down from one generation to another generation to another generation and to another generation. And God's heart is for our faith to influence and to extend beyond just our little life, our 70 years on the planet. And it's to go down to the next generation and the next generation after that and the next generation after that. And so I believe that these three questions can help you and I transfer our faith, hopefully generationally. So first the question of direction. So Israel, you might remember they were in Egypt. They came out of Egypt after 400 years. They went to the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness where they lived in tents. They were nomadic in lifestyle. They drank water when it came out of a rock, or maybe they ran into some body of water in the middle of the wilderness. They were given manna. God sent some birds one time that they, that they ate too much of. And now they're in Canaan. Now they're in the promised land. Remember God for hundreds of years have been telling them about this place. Each of the tribes are now living in their inherited land in Canaan. They're living in houses. They're living in homes. They're planting vineyards. They're planting crops. They're raising those crops. They're eating those crops. They're, they're harvesting the grapes. They're making wine. They're enjoying life. And as all of this is happening, as all of this is going on, there's a family that God says, I don't want you moving into a house. I don't want you planting a field. I don't want you planting a vineyard. I don't want you harvesting crops or, or, or harvesting uh, grapes and make, I don't want you to do any of that. None of that is what I've called you to do. I've called you to live in tents and live a nomadic lifestyle. Now, if I am the Rechabites, I'm saying, God, we just did that for 40 years. Can we get on to some other things? But God was teaching the Rechabites that sometimes old school or the old way is the right way. Or let me say it like this if Jonadab was your dad, and you looked at what the world was doing and then you looked at what that family was doing, if he's your dad, you're embarrassed, you're humiliated. Dad Dad has this standard and dad says you can't do this and dad says you can't go there and dad says no to that relationship and dad isn't afraid to get in the mix of things and dad isn't afraid to take a stand and dad isn't afraid to confront things and dad isn't afraid to discipline. And, and so they must have at times said, dad, why, why, why can't we move into a home? Dad, why do we got to live in these tents? Dad, why can't we go party and enjoy life? Like, er Dad, why aren't we growing our crops and our land? Why why do we never know where we're going to live? Why can't we put down some roots? And so this is a question of direction. Where are you going? Where are you going? Exactly. What's the direction in your life? I can remember my first Sunday as a pastor of the church 17 and a half years ago, I go back to this often. I made a covenant with God before the church that I would give this church in this city 40 years of my life. So I got 23 years left and counting. <laughs> I can say emphatically there has been many, 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 many times I've said. I don't like this direction, but because I knew the destination that I was heading in, because I knew that in order for my life to have direction, I had to first of all, assign it the destination. So I assigned the finish line to my life on day one. Now there has been a lot of times during the direction that I've been taking that I don't like what's going on around me. I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like what's going on. I don't like the pressure. I don't like the responsibility. I don't like the attention. I don't like the eyes on me. I I don't like the feeling of, I gotta keep it going. I gotta keep it going. I gotta keep all this going, you know, you know, get up there little preacher boy and do a little trick, you know, for us so we can go home and be happy today. I I don't always like it, but I 18 years, really 30 years ago. I set the direction and I have to be careful and you have to be careful to recognize God's call on my family may or may not be the call on your family. And just because there's some things that some standards or some convictions or some decisions or some weight that I've chosen in my life, it's because I'm trying to be obedient to what God has spoken to my family. And so the question is about direction. Most of us don't have a clear direction for our life. And the reason we don't have a direction is because we're spending all our time comparing our lives to other families and other people. Instead of going to God saying, God, what do you want from my family? And so the Rechabites spent no time looking at this family or that one or that one or that one. It, It wasn't that they didn't learn from other people, but in general, they knew that Jonadab, our father, had heard from God. He lived the life that he was talking about and it gave that family direction. You might remember Peter has uh, denied Jesus many times. Jesus is raised from the dead. He finds the apostle Simon Peter, ask him the series of questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, of course, I love you. And then Jesus prophesies to Simon Peter and he says to him, When you were young, you did what you wanted to do. You went where you wanted to go, you hung out with who you wanted. But, but when you get older, Jesus prophesied to Peter, he said, Hey, you're going to be stretched out. You're going to die by crucifixion. Like I did when Simon Peter hears Jesus say you're going to die by crucifixion, he does not like the direction he didn't like it. So he says, what about John? You know what Jesus says? What is John to you? What's John have to do with you? And Jesus says, if I want John to live to a ripe old age and I want you to die on a cross, what's it to you, Simon Peter? My destiny for him is different than my destiny for you. Your job is to not worry about what I'm doing in John's life. Your job is to worry about what I'm doing in your life. And don't get tripped up by getting overly attached to someone else's world that you lose focus on what God has assigned you to do. Remember John the Baptist, same thing. John the Baptist is in prison. He's, he's about to be executed. So he sends word to Jesus and asks this question, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And Jesus sends message back to John the Baptist. He says, Tell him this is what Jesus said. Tell him I heal the sick, the lame walk, the blind see and that the dead are raised to life. And oh, yeah. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. And So what Jesus tells John, John the Baptist, it's like, yeah, I'm the Messiah. But guess what? You're going to die. You're going to be beheaded and I'm not coming to save you. And oh, yeah, by the way, don't be offended by that. But I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were here to save. I thought you were here to rescue. I thought I thought I thought. Blessed are those. Who are not offended by me. And what is Jesus teaching John the Baptist? Your assignment is your assignment. Don't worry about what I'm doing out here. Yes, I'm raising the dead. Yes, I'm doing all those things. But your purpose and your assignment. Is not to be compared to somebody else's. The question is one of direction in this story. God raised up Jeremiah in a hostile time. They threw him in prison. They threw him in a cistern. He was under constant threats. The con- spiritual condition of the nation at that time, Jeremiah said, God does not enter their minds. He's not even remembered and he's not missed. Jeremiah 6 and verse 10 says that the word of the Lord is offensive to them and that they find no pleasure in it. Jeremiah chapter 20, the prophet says, I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. So I try not to even mention his word or mention his name. Jeremiah is saying this world is so wicked. I'm done talking about God. I'm done talking about his word. I'm done talking about his standards. I'm done. The prophet is saying I'm done. They're not listening anyway. I give up. And then he says, but unfortunately, the word was like fire shut up in my bones and I could not help but speak. I tried to not say his name. I tried to not preach uh, what he put in my heart to preach, but I could not help it because it's like fire shut up in my bones to make matters worse. The preachers and the prophets in Jeremiah's day, God said, I did not send them. I did not call them. They've distorted my word and the message they're preaching is not mine. It is their own. It sounds like America in 2022 to me. So this is what we learned. We learned that the world has a way they get their agenda done. And this is how the world does it. Threats, intimidation, violence. If you don't stop talking like that, we will kill you. The kingdom is different. The kingdom says, I have my convictions. I have my standard. I know who my God is. I know what his word is to me, and I'm not going to shut up and I'm not intimidated. And yeah, you want me to be quiet. You will have to kill me. That's the choice. And I willingly and gladly lay my life down for the beauty of this book and for the beauty of his name. Listen, I know it's not easy. And there's no ego in what I'm saying. There's brokenness in what I hope you'll hear me right now that, 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 that I did not call myself. I'm not preaching my message. I'm preaching the integrity of Scripture. I'm preaching about the character of a loving God who can renew, restore and reconcile all things. Nothing is beyond his reach. So think about the foresight of this father. Think about it. Six generations later, Babylon comes into Israel, comes into the promised land. And the nation is re-enslaved to Babylon for 70 years. Every family that has their inheritance, they're living in their land, they're living in their house. When Babylon, the Babylonians invaded Israel, they were protecting their stuff and enslaved. But the Rechabites didn't have lands. They didn't have homes. They were in tents. Their lifestyle was built in a way, the direction of their life was built in a way that they could avoid being enslaved because of their obedience to what the father of their home, the patriarch of their home, had given them to do. Why am I saying this? Because now Israel is in shambles. Now this nation is, is completely upside down, and the people that were left behind, the children that were abandoned and injured, and the wounded that were there, the Rechabites come in after Babylon took Israel back. Babylonians took Israel back to Babylon, and the Rechabites were the ones who re entered the city of Jerusalem, helped heal those who had been left behind. They helped bind up the wounded and the brokenhearted and those who are left behind and for 70 years while Israel was in captivity the rekabites helped rebuild the internal structure of Israel there's a question of direction sometimes god gives us direction and it doesn't make sense but you have to keep the destination in mind you have to say god i i i heard this real this week on instagram and it said this that right now you are living the dream of the younger version of yourself. Don't disappoint them. So along the ways, we're, 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 we set the course. This is what God's called me to do. And every now and then it don't look the way that you thought it would. but you dreamed it. You set the destination out front and your direction is focused on. This is my goal. This is where I'm going. And everything along the way has to fall off because that's what I said I'm going to do. And that's what I'm doing. I am narrow minded, narrow sided, focused as I can be. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Number two, a question of design. What are you doing? So at this table of testing, this family has obeyed God for six generations. They realized that their job was to obey the standards that were given to them. Every other family, again, ended up in Babylon. The Rechabite family never lived one day in Babylon. The Rechabite family always knew freedom because they obeyed the standards and the convictions of Jonadab. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 through 15 talks about how God will test our quality, he'll test the quality of our work. Quality means distinguished. It means a characteristic of excellence. The point of a quality test is if what we do, if what our work is designed to do can survive the fire, then we get the reward. If we built by inferior materials throughout our life, when the test comes, it'll burn that work up. But the Bible says, don't worry. God would rather burn everything up in your life and save your soul than let you build with faulty materials and never test you. So, God's test is designed to show us what we're building with. It's about quality. It's about is my foundation right? It's about when I sit down at the testing table, am I passing the test? And the Rechabites pass the test. The Rechabites set the standard of quality in the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that when they came out of that room, Jeremiah takes the family, that family, and he goes before the entire nation of Israel. And he says, for six generations, this family has obeyed the commands that Jonadab has given this family. And he begins to paint the picture to the nation. He says, after 40 years in the wilderness, We entered the promised land and you received your inheritance. You received your land. You moved into your homes. You got your crops. You got your vineyards. You got your mega pint glasses of wine. You got it. Life is so good, isn't it? It's all the table has been set. The banquet has been set. It's all been laid out for you. Even though I've given you all this, you disobey me. You're stubborn. You want nothing to do with me. You don't miss me. You don't think about me. My standards don't matter to you. Nothing. But yet over here, there's this family. They don't have the houses and they don't have the land and they don't have the homes and they're living in tents. But for six generations, for three to four hundred years, every single person in their family has served God. And Jeremiah tells the nation If you want to know what God wants from us, look at this family, a family became the light to a nation. A family became the standard of what God was looking for and the whole nation could look at that family and know God's ultimate call on every family is not that you have a house or don't have a house. It's that you live your life in obedience to what God has called you to do and the convictions that he's given you. James Dobson, who you've probably heard of focus on the family radio ministry, He's wrote many parenting books. His granddad was a pastor, a a man of God, and had gone away for several weeks to fast and to pray. During this time of fasting and prayer, God spoke to James Dobson's granddad and said this, every single one of your children and grandchildren will serve the Lord in full-time ministry in some capacity. I don't think that that's God's word for every family, but that was what God spoke to James Dobson's grandfather. Every one of his kids ended up being a pastor or a missionary or married to one of those every one of his grandchildren. So his children had 12 grandchildren, all of his grandchildren, except one ended up also going into pastoring or missionary work or full-time ministry or married to someone that did the only grandchild that didn't want to go into ministry, but instead wanted to go into child psychology. So he went to school, got his education, got his doctorate degree for child psychology, was Dr. James Dobson, but God began to lead him to write parenting books from a biblical perspective. God directed him to start focus on the family a nonprofit or a ministry that will build families around the world. And this is my point. James Dobson said, I don't want to do it. I, I don't, I don't want to go into ministry. My dad did it. My mom did it. My whole family's done it. I'm surrounded by it all over. I don't want to do it. But God was not necessarily consulting James Dobson about it because his granddad had spent some time with him in fasting and prayer. And the granddad had already prayed and made a covenant with God that I'm giving you my family and you use them however you want to use them. And God was not checking in with James Dobson. He wasn't saying, hey, do you want to do this? God was saying, hey, your granddaddy. Set a standard in this family and you're gonna follow through with it. <laughs> Jeremiah 35, 19, the new contemporary version says, So I promised Jonadab, your family will serve me and never die out. Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that a great promise? That that if you'll follow what he's calling you to do, your faith In your family will never die out. You got to hear from him concerning the quality that he wants from your family in your life. You got to hear from him on the convictions that he wants in your life. Every single uh, time I go into my prayer closet, I have a family prayer that I wrote out and I'm still working on it, messing with it but it's a family prayer. It's specific to my family. My family doesn't even know the prayer yet. At some point when it's ready and done, then they're going to, then they'll get a copy of it. But it's, what am I doing? God, what are you saying to me about my family, about my future? Very important that you hear from him concerning your family. Number three, and we're done, is the question of devotion. In second Kings chapter 10, I'm not going to turn there, but it's awesome story. Verses 15. we probably just finished the chapter there. There's the story that you might remember of Jehu. And Jehu has just been anointed by God to turn the nation of Israel back to God. He's been anointed to bring about a national revival in Israel. Jezebel and Ahab is king and Jezebel, they're, they're leading the nation at this moment. And so God tells Jehu, I'm anointing you and I'm anointing you to go deal with Jezebel and Ahab and the prophets of Baal. I'm anointing you to do it. I'm calling you to do this. And so Jehu is anointed and he sets out for Jezreel. As he's on his way, Jonadab, man, we're reading about the father of the Rechabites or the great, 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 great grandfather of the Rechabites. Is walking down the road. When Jehu sees Jonadab, this is what he says. He says, If I'm going to turn this nation back to God, I know that man. I know the way he lives. I know that his standards and his convictions. I know his family. I know the way he leads his family. I need that guy to go with me. If there's anybody that's gonna be right by my side fighting hell, It's Jonadab. I need Jonadab. So Jehu, the Bible says in the King James version, it says he lighted upon Jonadab, which the translation is that Jehu jumps on the back of Jonadab, jumps on his back, grabs him and whispers in his ear, jump in the chariot with me and come and see my zeal for the things of God, for the house of God and for the heart of God. And Jonadab immediately jumps on the chariot because this is so this is so incredible. Because the driving force of his life was he wanted to see a national revival happen. He wanted to see the nation turn back to God. He wanted to see it. He 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 wanted to watch a nation come back in line with truth. And so the Bible says, Jonadab jumps in the chariot with Jehu and Jehu and Jonadab go to Jezreel. They look up and there's Jezebel in the window of a balcony and she's all prettied up and surrounding her are eunuchs. A eunuch is a man who's been castrated. And so Jezebel likes men as long as they have had something cut off. She's okay with men as long as she can emasculate them because the spirit of Jezebel says masculinity is toxic. The spirit of Jezebel wants to take from men, God's assignment for us in the home and in the church and ultimately in the nation. And so I've asked the Holy Spirit to jump on some backs of some dads. I've asked him to jump on some backs and get in your ear a little bit and ask you the question, who in your life are you surrounded by that is zealous for the things of God, zealous for the purpose of God, zealous to raise your family in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, zealous to say, I don't know about every other house, but me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so these eunuchs throw Jezebel off the balcony. She lands on the pavement, dogs come and lick up her blood. I know this is rough. This is Old Testament holiness. The way God dealt with holiness in the Old Testament was to get rid of evil. He got rid of the person that was bringing or doing or involved in the evil. The old Testament, the way God cleaned things up is he got rid of the person in the new Testament. Holiness, God does not have to kill the person to get rid of the evil. He calls you and I to say, what evil is in me? Is there a spirit of Jezebel in me? Is there a spirit of Ahab in me? Is is there a spirit of worldliness in me? Is there an ungodly? Is there a resistance to holiness in me? Is there a resistance to convictions and standards? Is is there a resistance to holding the family together? Is there a resistance to saying, we're gonna teach our kids what the Bible says? We don't care what the culture's saying. We don't care what the world's saying. And I don't care if I'm old school, because old school is the only school, by the way. At some point, God is looking, for us to sit down at the table and pass the test so we need some men today to say I'm, st- I'm going to stand for my family I'm not going to retreat say that's right preacher we've got to deal with this they took prayer out of our schools okay what about prayer in your home first well they took down the ten commandments how dare they That's when everything went wrong. Can you quote five of them? I'm not saying it to be difficult. I'm saying it because what God is teaching us to me is that as long as Jonadab focused on his family, he had no idea that the church would say, can you teach us your standards? Can you teach us how you've done it? No one else is serving God, but your family is. How have you done it? It's so cool to me to watch this, this play out because God sets this family up to be an influence to a nation. Jonadab was not trying to influence the nation. He was trying to influence his family. You see how backwards we get it. We get all frustrated and worried and angry about the world. But God's call is a question of direction. It's a question of design. What's he called us to do? The question of devotion, who is in this with me, who's doing this with me, who's fighting, who's praying, who's interceding, who's lifting up my arms, who's helping me go the extra mile, who's helping me stay on the right track, who's helping me stay focused, who's helping me keep the mind of Christ, who's helping me think right about situations and trials and troubles and who's who's with me, who's on, is the Holy Spirit on my back today, is the Holy Spirit in my ear today, teaching me the kind of dad that he wants me to be for my family. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv/dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church podcast.